0: All right, good morning Volker, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, Jared. Yeah, I always forget it's a the time difference. Are you in a yeah. different office than you were last time?
1: We uh, had to expand. So oh, nice. we had to build some yeah, we had to build some new office so uh so everybody can have a seat. <laughs> Is it the same building or nice. the same location? Yeah, uh, same. Yeah, we just—you ex- were here, right? So we just yeah. extended the the office that we had and uh, just built some extra space, some extra uh, walls. So now we have a little conference room that we can sit in now. So Very startup nice. life
0: is the goldfish farm still there?
1: Yeah, the organic, the salad farm. What, what is it? Hydroponics? Yeah, I'm all still sure. there, still going, still growing. Yeah, they're growing, they're growing too. too. They're all- yeah, exactly. Okay, that was good. We expanded a little bit here since you we were here last. Um, that's good, but we're leaving the space in about, uh, three, three to six months. Oh, very soon. Uh, to, yeah. To go to new space. So lots is changing.
0: Yeah, certainly. So what are the day-to-day vertical activities? Are you still doing a lot of printing yourselves? Yeah, yeah we are.
1: I mean, we, you, as you know, we, uh, we're going to dive straight in. I think, <laughs> as you know, uh, we do both printing and sales and machines, um, and sales and machine market right now is booming. It's it's incredible. So we we spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and we've doubled our team, you know, in the last two or three months, just to keep up with that demand, um, of which, you know, the, the biggest frustration at the moment is the global supply chain. So we have, you know, the big chip shortage that's going on, we have extremely long lead times on robots, we have long lead times on other chips, uh, products and chips, which is basically anything with the motor with a frequency drive is an issue right now. Um, uh, But we're printing in the meantime, so any projects we have, we do on the machine that we have here available, and one of the things we're focusing on a lot now is we launched a new product line called Monier, which you might have seen on the socials, which is a line of planters. So we're focusing on that to try to um, bring that to market. So that's one of the things that's really uh, keeping us busy.
0: Nice. What do you think has to do with the bump in sales? Is that in the past month, two months, uh, quarter? So what 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 I've seen over over years is that it's it's
1: somehow it's a little bit cyclical. I mean, you you know, you always try to kind of guess when why are people buying what when. Um, and sometimes you think maybe it's related to to fiscal years, you know, people are trying to spend their budget by the end of the year, maybe not. And um, actually, what we've noticed is that often at the end of the year, a lot of sales happen. the so second half of the year, a lot of sales happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with the lead time short uh, difficulties, um we're seeing that they're more spread out because if you buy a machine from us now, the lead time alone in a robot puts us into February next year. Like yeah. we just, wow. you know, we, we don't have, yeah, we don't have stock of robots, but, you know, we don't, we don't order 10 of them at once. We're just not, we don't have that size. Um, so we order per project because they can, you know, differ too in size and shape and payload and whatever, whatever the client wants. So, you know, we just can't deliver anything before February, March, next year. It's just full. So now you're seeing more of a leveling out of sales in that sense. And one of the main drivers of sales for us, but I think for most, is the us market uh, for some reason the us has decided to invest heavily and fast the way they do in concrete printing so a lot of our machine sales currently are in the us
0: that's great yeah that was my next question yeah. is it mostly overseas or the us um and why i asked like the past month or the past quarter for the past like 6 months the us has been in like kind of a fiscal downturn the stock market's been going down but in the past like 1 month 2 months it's been going up 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 so yeah uh, when people have more money i figure it's easier to make investments like that i think so
1: i think i think that might be part of it i, I don't think we as an industry so young notice the changes in the you know global market that quickly um, of course, we're all looking at a recession, potential recession in the U.S. next year. At least that's that's what you hear in the media. Um, how much that's going to affect our day to day? I'm not sure. Right now, there's such a large demand for these machines that there are already enough people that are, you know, doing counter uh, cyclical investment as well, in which they say even if we have an economic downturn, we got to start investing in um reduction of labor right for which this type of automation is very interesting yeah. so um, things like that uh, concrete printing takes a lot of boxes so hopefully we will be saved from uh a lot of negative effects from any economic downturn we see next year when am i going to get to see a vertical printer
0: in the united states
1: uh there's one there uh oh. and there will uh no and there's one in the north uh east uh, can't say much more. There will, there's one on the water right now, so there's one going across the ocean. There will be another one in Florida by November, um, and there will be a fourth one also installed before December, so that will be four machines by the end of this year.
0: How many of those will um, need to be kept secret or stealthy or uh, private? I think I
1: think, I think think only the one. Um, okay, the machine in Florida has already announced. So that's a company called Printed Patio in uh, Florida, which are great guys. And they're a startup, too. Uh, they've been doing some printing uh, on their smaller machine they've been starting up. And, and actually, it's a funny story because the, um, the guys that started there, Justin... Um, he once emailed me, you know, about having a small printer. And he said, look, can you, can you check out my system if it's any good? And I said, well, you know, you could change this and that because I had some experience in starting up. And they said, OK, great. And then they said, oh, um, you know, we're trying out these different material mixes. And I said, oh, we have our material mix, too. And he said, I've been using this one online. And he actually linked to one of the mixes we've put online years ago as an open source mixture. so he found us again and then he was trying out some slicer software and we had launched slicer excel as a sort of easy step up for people getting into the market very simple slicer and he emailed their support desk and he got an email back from me saying hey it's me again so he said all the all the roads lead back to Vertigo," and and now a year later he bought a machine so i'm very happy to have him as a client it's fantastic um there's another machine going to california they're probably going to be launching a lot of information about that by the end of the year um, so they'll probably be open about it, but I'm gonna leave it to them to, um,
0: uh, sure. to announce, right. Yeah. Some of them might already be on my list. I have, I know Printed Patio, I met them at World of Concrete, uh, a while ago and they were really excited yeah. about printed construction and, uh, it's good to hear they ordered a machine. They're ready to get going now.
1: They are, they They really know what they're doing. And what I like about their approach as well is that they're really going into it to get a return on investment on the pr- products. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a return on investment that I see uh, strongly in our uh, line of planters. So I can go on and on and on about those two, because, you know, I just love the aesthetic that we're able to realize. And Justin of Printed Patio shares that view. Um, so I'm sure, you know, I, I love the fact that other enthusiastic people are going to be using the same machine to try and conquer the market, you know, which is, you know, far enough away that we're, it's not gonna affect us in any way in terms of business. So there's a really great exchange we can do there of trying to, you know, develop that market together, um, sending designs to each other and whatnot. So, 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 I really look forward to seeing how they uh, hit the ground running in a couple of months.
0: Yeah, it's good timing to have you on after I just released the video, 11 Lies About 3D Printed Houses. <laughs> you Let's go. In, we repeated. About the houses, you are not. A, you never promoted, it's not all about the houses, you've always been talking about, it's about the designs, the parametric design and yeah. things that tend to, to create an ROI, a real business. And uh, since the beginning, you had some uh, qualms about housing with 3D printed construction.
1: Yeah, and you know, um, one of the main reasons is that I don't have a background in construction right so it's so one of the main reasons for me to that I find it difficult to imagine the ROI is
0: because I don't know how much it costs to build a house and what the difficulties are so That's in that funny. sense not the opposite it's hard for me right. to the ROI because I do have a background in construction <laughs>
1: <laughs> right so Thanks. together we you know make, we can go on and on on, on about and compare notes right but so in that sense, I'm not the best uh, judge of you know what savings can it bring to building and construction of housing, but when I look at it from a perspective of concrete printing, I see obviously the extremely high material costs that still are uh, a difficulty for us in the industry, right? And then when you hear that uh, the amount of concrete that goes into a two-story house can go up to ninety thousand euros, you got to start thinking just just on the you know back of an envelope, you got to make a calculation is. that going to give me a return on investment on a house if that's how much i'm spending on the concrete alone let alone the printing let alone the setting up of a machine letting alone let alone the transport so so those those difficulties are some of the main things that 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 i find uh, challenging in that business case but clearly the market is uh not in agreement with me whatsoever right so so massive investment in, in housing, printing, you know, and, and I totally get there's a requirement for housing and that there's a need and people, you know, there's certainly a market. So the money's there. Um, and I also believe that there will be a lot of economies of scale going on. So, you know, perhaps if you do this calculation a little bit more optimistically than I do, you see the return on investment closer. Yeah, um, it's
0: about where the ball's going, yeah. not where the ball is.
1: Yeah and, and for me uh, where the balls going is still hard to judge and other people are much more confident that they kicked it the right way. Um, in the meantime on the short term, I already uh, much, much more clearly see the applications of concrete printing not in housing right There are business cases that you have here smaller scale um, and obviously we're focusing on the more high te- high detailed architectural type thing. With bigger overhangs or foot planters, columns, facade elements, these things. So it's a, the prefabricated side. And so you see housing and, and architectural style elements, and only slowly the more prefabricated applications. So I think that there's a huge market potential there for prefab style concrete printing, which which answers nicely the challenges of, you know. Uh, this new technology and printing indoors with climate control and all these other control factors of printing inside is a good combination right now at this stage in innovation, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. In an, it's all about the innovation and it's a new industry and it's improving so fast all the time. So many different people are working on all of the different aspects of it. Uh, so there's the dual sided. You need to keep improving it, but also you need to make profit on the machines that they have now so that the company yeah. continues funding the R&D. I mean, I'm sure even though you have some of these uh, concepts like the planters and other things, there's still probably some work you additions you'd like to make to the printer.
1: Absolutely. Um, focusing so much on or, or, or having the luxury of selling as many machines as we are now means that we, you know, the flip side of that is we have less and less time for development. So, you know, I hired a R&D engineer recently because we found that we weren't spending enough time um, doing the things we wanted to do and improve on the machine. So he's, he's back on that, which is very nice, which includes things like a start stop on the machine or I color see. agents that are added. And, and these things are things we want as well, um, but also more detailed things like, um, addition, you know, improvements on on, on connect connections between um, uh, hoses or between the printhead but also the motors and the size and the power so there's so much you can do not to mention the software side which always has room for improvement right you can automate it more do better we're we're finding now on one of the projects we're doing which has to do with the manholes which sometimes you see as a as a as a, um, uh, uh, a project that people are doing as a business case we're finding now that you know, which is interesting for you if you know something about concrete printing, usually when you, you use the speed of the robot to control the thickness of a layer, you know, and width, but you can also raise the height and lower the height of the robot so you can do, you know, the non-planar double curve with orientation type shapes. Mm-hmm. And what we thought initially was that if we do, if we have the speed of the robot, we'll double the width of the line if we keep the height the same, right? And then if you have the, the, the height of the robot, then obviously you're going to influence. So we thought there was a linear relationship there, um, but it turns out that that's true only within you a know, very small range. When you start doing very high speeds and very thin layers, it's not a linear curve. It turns out to be that there's sort of an, not exponential, but it's it's there's a curved curve, so to speak. So we're defining that now and adding that to our slices now to make it even more accurate when you're doing really high speed and really complex stuff. So. Such a long way to go, such a long way to go.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be improving uh, not just 3D printed construction, but automated construction in general, bringing in the software and people on the job site. Uh, and I include landscapers as a contractor. It's not the house itself, but it's still uh, a trade. It's a construction trade landscaping. Um, yeah. And especially if you're building something rather than cutting the grass, uh, it's much more analogous. Um, So there's
1: applications there, there's applications there too. landscaping is a big thing, not only planters, but also we're doing foundations now or borders or tiles or walls, these things
0: are definitely all um, on the uh, sort of RFQs that are coming in. Nice. So you have the new guy for R&D and uh, what other recent team members have you added.
1: With new project management, uh, we have somebody hired now for quality assurance. So, uh, what we notice, for example, on the flower pots is we can uh, we can deliver flower pots that look great. Um, this is proven. You can see the photos. We can make the prints. It's all great. But we don't know what happens when you leave them outside for ten years, because nobody knows that, right? Because nobody's tried it. So we need to have um, pay more attention to how uh, analyzing up front what we expect to happen. So, for example, she recently started a. Um, uh, an experiment to see what type of coatings we could add onto to the prints uh, for putting them outside here. Freeze thaw is something that we're very interested in to see, you know, how does the water seep into the contra- concrete
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then expand the contract with, with, uh, with frost oh. to see where the cracking occurs. So, so we're learning things about our print and our print path. Um, uh, we had uh, a, a bench we put outside that ended up cracking for this reason and we found out that the, it, the layers um, sh- were not connected well enough so they had left a little bit of a gap because it was quite a complex design so now we're learning okay we need to fill in those gaps as well maybe after the fact from the side or even coat so now we're using a nano coating to t- that is hydrophobic um, to kind of going with that so that's one of our new hires is a quality assurance person to write standards for our products because i don't want to be delivering planters that fail you know this is this is a big issue right now that's why we're also quite slow in launching them to a consumer level because we want to be sure they're right
0: before we send them out in large volume would hydrophobic coating prevent the water from leaving the concrete
1: (laughs) so these hydrophobic coatings uh, they do uh, allow breathing um but that's about as much as I know. So we we're doing the experiments to see what happens, right? In theory, yeah. you can work a lot of this out, but they allow breathing, but on the one side, that's bad because the water can seep back in. On the other side, it's good because the, the, the concrete can cure. Um, so that's something she's really working on, reading you know the academic papers that are written and uh, trying out the different samples, and then we're gonna put them in practice and see if we can get some feedback from that. Um, we posted, I think, Yesterday, a picture of a bench that we that we um, load tested with a thousand kilos of of cement bags, right? So this bench, we're doing a lot of this testing on. It's a bench that we installed at the museum um, singer in uh, in a place called Lava here in Holland, and they're outside benches. So we're going to also try coating and put them outside as well, and allow that to you know sort of give us some feedback on what they do in real life, which we can then apply to the pots as well.
0: Do you consistently get snow in the winters there? No, not at all. Unfortunately, I enjoy snow around Christmas, but unfortunately, no. So it won't be that test. The frost question isn't so important.
1: No, you get freezing, right? So okay. even if you don't get snow, you get freezing here and it's wet. Um, so it's still an issue. That, that's not to say that if you tried this out in Norway, you wouldn't get completely different results. Um, and also we have clients, you know, in the Middle East who are dealing with the exact opposite problem. You know, we're dealing, first of all, with UV issues from the light that we have, but also the extreme heat um, puts a lot of stress on the material. So um, we're lucky to be sort of in the middle of that, right? We have quite a contemporary climate, but yeah, you're going
0: to see experiments both ways. Yeah, it seems like 60, 70 Fahrenheit is kind of the ideal temperature for printing in, in the nighttime, uh, if possible, uh, for outdoor. I have no
1: idea. For me, that's like gibberish. I have no idea what 70 Fahrenheit is. Yeah, it's just room temperature. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, room temperature is nice. So we found that, um, but I think I might have explained it before. We found we've been able to print here at five degrees Celsius, which is obviously extremely cold. We've been able to print at 35 degrees Celsius, which is obviously extremely hot. Um, but, you know, even though there is a range in which you would like to print, which is optimal, it's actually quite large. So people are sometimes afraid that they have to climb and control the the uh, space really, really tightly. That's not the case. What if you, if you print around you the
0: it's fluc consistent., uh, yeah. and the material ingredients fluctuate a little bit with the temperature, right? Yeah. and so can um, one of the
1: things that is important is sort of the the air in the room. Um, we've had prints where you know uh, we'd be printing' it'd be warm, and then I'd open a door um, and then you immediately see a drop in temperature just by just by opening a door somewhere in the room. And this can positively or negatively affect your prints. Um, but incoming water temperature is another thing. It's nice to measure the incoming water temperature. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you print over a longer time, um, in the beginning, your, your system heats up. Friction in the hose, for example, especially when you're adding two components as well, the yeah. system will heat up. So we measure the temperature on our motor, for example, on our print head, which gives us a nice indication as well, besides the incoming mortar and the outgoing mortar. We also have a motor temperature measures. which So the combination of temperature, uh, we have four spots in which you measure temperature. Inc- and then we have the uh, five spots, including um, air temperature. So that combined gives us a good
0: overview of, of, of
1: if it's too hot or too cold.
0: I think now that I moved the podcast to a separate channel, the people listening are probably probably know what we're talking about is it's like a small niche group of people yeah. who uh, have the patience to listen to me talk to people for a long time. and. Uh, yeah. so, I think what you're saying right now, it's in the weeds, but it's really fascinating because the these are, this is the data you'll need in order to automate your systems further in the yeah, future. Like you're saying, exactly the friction's heating up. So right now, maybe you're cooling down the water going into the system, but in the future, that can all be automated and can automatically uh, fix the temperature differential.
1: Absolutely. So in in our case, what we always um, what we've been good at, I mean, this is the third time we've we've had the chance to talk on the podcast and it's fun to look back. Right. Um, From the beginning, we were just trying to find out what are the parameters right now. Now, a couple of years later, we have a pretty decent overview of what are the things we want to measure. But the incoming water, for example, it's something we don't control. Our incoming water temperature in the Netherlands is relatively stable. I can imagine in Saudi Arabia, for example, it's quite high coming in. So then you wanna cool. And the moment you're cooling, you have a good stable uh, or heating, for example, you have a very good stable temperature, right? In the winter we have heated before. Um, So yeah, so you've controlled that break. Um, But there are other factors. Humidity is one we would love to control. very high humidity is nice, of course. That's something we'd love to control. But then again, in the space we have, which is a big startup space that is in an old building, it's impossible to control temperature and humidity. But if you're really going for extremely high quality, high detail printing, at some point that becomes interesting. And then hence, again, the challenges of printing outside, right? Where those things are literally impossible to control.
0: Yeah. So for your clients, you recommend they have a smaller room that they're printing in so that it's easy to control the climate?
1: I think one thing we, that, that the, the one thing that frustrates us the most is the fact that our hall isn't heated. Um, the humidity is secondary, the heating is primary. So uh, we just noticed when it gets winter here, um, it's just cold. It's so cold that it affects our print quality. So we have to heat the water, for example. But in mid-December, we're not printing, not really. We can heat the water, do some fun stuff, but we cannot um, guarantee the quality. Um, so if you have a hull that you can even heat to above, let's say 10, 15 degrees Celsius, then you're already in a good position. So that would be my primary to uh, be able to have at least a hull that's, that's heated.
0: Very nice. Are there any yeah. like canoe kind of projects coming up soon?
1: Yeah, did you, you saw our, our last canoe, uh-huh. uh, which we did a couple of months ago. That was actually pretty cool because the, as you might know, the first project I ever did was a canoe, and I had no idea how to program a robot, and we also didn't know how to uh, uh, automatically mix concrete, so I, it just, we hadn't, we hadn't figured out yet how to take a dry mix, and have the Duo mix add water, and then print, but just, we just, we didn't know, so I would mix the concrete by hand, I would throw it in the dry mix chamber of the Duo mix, it would force it through the entire machine, and we would print which is insane, right? And we used 1,700 kilos of sand to support the print uh, because it was, you know, curved. Um, and then a year later, we printed another one and we used lightweight aggregates to support the thing. We had an automatic mixing system, you know, if it was or a more automatic mixing system, we got better. And we had two years COVID. And then this year we printed one and it was fully automatic. And there was no support whatsoever because we managed to do a um, a vault system in which it could lean on itself um, and on top of that it happened while I was on holiday so the team did it here and so I came back and we had one with no support and uh, uh, material printed ready to go so this was another really great example for me of you know how how that how it gets better right how, yeah, how sure. the technology improves yeah so that's cool um, projects we're doing now is uh, we have a nice, art piece coming up for um, an artist from Germany he's installing in the Netherlands but it's an art piece uh, we're doing here we're working with um, the TU Eindhoven uh, to do some uh, furniture and we're doing some columns and columns are something that you know we haven't even started to see the potential of those yet like there you know we've done some nice patterns and shapes but we're still waiting on the first architects to to see the potential of the columns we do have an impressive RFQ running now for uh, a set of columns outside with a whole cover over it uh, and some really amazing things inside a church, but that's all early days. Cool, very
0: nice. The, what does Vertigo need the most right now to expand?
1: That's a good question. Time. I, I, wish, I, had, I wish I had, you know... Forty-eight hours in a day—it it, it costs a lot of time. Like we've come to a point now where the technology is um, uh, one of the targets we had last year is to make the technology stable, and that's something that, in my opinion, we've achieved with the machine. So we're confident that it can um, produce in a stable manner. And this—if you—if you are shipping them around the world, then then that's something you need, right? Um, you want it to be stable, and you want. We haven't gone to a client yet um, to fix anything. We've been able to do any troubleshooting over the over the phone or over Zoom. So, so that means we've had some stability. So now we know what we're doing. And then the question becomes time. So how do we manage to you know uh, grow fast? So the people, luckily, we've been able to find, even though a lot of people have difficulty finding people, we haven't to have, we haven't had to put much effort into that. We haven't actually put anything online in, in a year. Um, we are looking for a technical sales guy now. We need I need support on uh, sales because there's too much coming in. Um, we need bigger space. Uh, we need more people, um, and that requires time. So it's not even money that's the issue. It's 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 just scaling up fast. You know, it's I was talking to some people from Icon the other day, um, and just to hear their stories of you know what if you have an unlimited budget. Uh, then what, right? And then you see how they do that. And I think they're doing a a good job in trying to scale that fast, but it's just a growth pains, right? Like how, how do you force something to grow that fast? That's something that we're struggling with too.
0: It's great that you haven't had to go out for support for your clients. There's some companies, they sell a printer and they have to build the first building that the company does. Uh, And then the company builds the second building and they don't build a third. For some reason, they they do the first one on their own, and they decide it's not worth it or something. I don't know, but there's multiple groups that have done the one structure that the company built for them. One more structure after that, and now who knows what's going on with their printer? It's been over a year.
1: It's not easy, and and um, you know as, as more than than most, more than anyone, maybe how hard it is to do. Right, you've seen so many big construction sites, and it's a big challenge to start that big. Right, it's another. Yeah advantage of the way that we do it is we started small so our mistakes were small we've talked about this before right um, i've seen mistakes on a house for example being printed where they started to print the roof which was curved and then they realized at some angle the print layers don't touch anymore right which is a is a typical mistake you make when you start in the in the, in the printing process Except i made that exact same mistake on a house model basically that was a meter wide and, and so they're making they're making big mistakes and um, uh, on a, on a large scale which is which is difficult and i think if if you haven't developed the technology yourself then to print that third or fourth house you've you've uh, you've got a lot of things to learn right even even if the printer's working so
0: yeah you can't blame them it's a tough it's a tough thing to to flip it seems like in europe a lot of the people buying these printers were able to do so with some kind of grant money or government funding as opposed to private investor money?
1: Yeah, I've seen, I'd have to look back at the clients that we have. Um, Universities are a large part of our clients and I think about half almost half are our universities and you could you could argue that all of their money is from grants even mm-hmm. though that's not it's not necessarily the case but you understand what i mean yeah. right it's not necessarily uh it's it's certainly not, necessarily not money. In that way yeah certainly not private money and um, from the commercial uh, projects that we've done i see a lot in eastern europe there's a lot of stuff coming from grants too uh, that makes sense um um, but anything west from where we are, we've seen done with private investment. So we sold to some large companies that have this, you know, capital to, to spend, and some startups which have raised money in their own way. Um, but where European subsidies can be gotten, you know, I recommend it. Um, but I haven't seen any large printers being uh, being bought on subsidy. But it's possible. It's not my market.
0: Yeah, in the US, it's mostly, I think, investors uh risking their own money. It's interesting yeah. about Eastern Europe. I've seen probably like two dozen companies pop up there. Young yeah, people mostly really excited about rebuilding and uh yeah. all kinds of stuff. It's happening so fast. It'll be interesting to see uh whether they're able to achieve their goals if it uh if it's a helpful thing. It's certainly playing out on a bigger scale than it had been in our past two conversations so the yeah everything's happening uh bigger faster hopefully better the roof but i see a lot is the
1: is the is the um housing printing machines right so that's again and it's something that that i hadn't expected necessarily but you know as you say it's you you even if you have a gantry it's hard to do your third fourth fifth house there's obviously companies doing it but the amount of to just you know just before we got on the call i saw another company that had developed a very very large gantry printer
0: who's so, doing who's doing the third house
1: i don't know i don't know i don't know but i, I assume there are companies out there doing a third house I, I don't follow them on you know that closely but i'm not i sure assume any there's a company
0: that bought a printer that's doing their third house yet actually maybe the companies that developed their own printer I mean, yeah, no, there SQ4D are 4D
1: or yeah, maybe. there's a couple.
0: I mean, SQ4D, they did a demo unit uh, in a concrete plant, and then they did one house, which I'm not sure got a certificate of occupancy or not, and then they did a second one. So, really, they'll they'll have two done that are uh, like real houses, intended to be real houses, hopefully. Sure. Uh, maybe they'll start a third soon, but they're a manufacturer like Seabay's done a few uh, different houses with different clients, Cobod's done all kinds, but each of them have a partner that. Probably that usually bought the printer. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I try to segregate the manufacturers from the builders. Yeah. Uh, It's tricky to draw the lines, but it's. It's interesting. Uh, There's a crazy number of these companies now, so. They uh, it's got to be going somewhere.
1: Exactly. So, you know, all um, good luck to them. Um, you know, I hope they do find this that solution that, that can copy paste the house. You know, great, fantastic. There's a large housing shortage, and 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 good luck to them. And you know, if they want to do some stuff around the house or some columns or whatever, give me a call. Um, and there are companies now. You know, we are part of we are part of tenders where they have bought a uh, gantry machine, and then they want to buy a robotic machine to do some of the um, more highly detailed work. Sure. Some of the column work, or even pots, or whatever, or um, windows—all these things. So you do see that people are understanding as well that there is there is two different styles of concrete printing that are, uh, in some sense, mutually exclusive. Right, the one can't do do the thing that that we do, but we certainly can't do the thing that they do in terms of scale. Mm-hmm. So people are beginning to understand. And for us, as we are one of the few suppliers of this, you know, two-component strategy, it's something we have to keep explaining you know, uh, why is your machine so different? Well, it's for, for, you know, we have a dosing pump extra, we have, you know, control of the nozzle, we have finer detail, we have bigger angles, we have much faster setting concrete, which allows us to make these angles. And it's something you have to explain up front, uh, when people start getting into the industry.
0: Have you been experimenting with materials much? Well, yeah, um, we have now,
1: uh, signed a partnership with Sika. Um, so we've, um, as, as we developed our own material mix initially, it meant that we weren't bound to any uh, concrete supplier and we know what's inside our mix, which is you know, which is nice. <laughs> so we're open to use any material, uh, anybody's material. And, and also we're not in the business of shipping material across the ocean or across the seas. So we, we encourage um, our clients locally to make their own mix. So we provide our material recipe as well so they can have it made locally. Alternatively, we now work with uh, large concrete companies such as Sika or Heidelberg to test their materials, right? So we've done some printing projects for Heidelberg, some walls and uh, and they've, you know, sent material to us to test for them and we continue to do so. And at the same time, we did trials with Sika And our trials with Sika showed that Sika's strategy for concrete 3D printing is similar to ours, right? So they have a very high detailed, very fine finishing of their material, and it's clearly something they're experts in, right? They are a company that provides additives, amongst other things, for concrete, which makes that their finish is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and this fits well with our strategy, right? It's in, we're not printing, you know, houses and then covering it up with paint or whatever. No, we want the end results to be uh, in the material itself. So we've partnered with Sika to make a two component material for our machine, uh, which is nice. That'll mean that we'll have a mix on the market which is uh, with white cement, which provides a good basis as well for adding color or whatnot, but also a nice basis to start. And we've already trialed the mix um, and the improvements we're going to trial in a month or so. Um, so that's what's happening on our material development side. That's the main thing that's happening on our material development side, and it gives us the opportunity um, to have a partner, strong Sika, which has a worldwide presence. Um, so they, you know, uh, can tell people that our machine is available as well, and they can provide material locally. So there's definitely among the material suppliers and the startups such as ours a symbiotic relationship in that sense for us to be able to cover the global marketplace and for them to be able to not have to worry about machine install and training and all those things. So that's a relationship that's going very well.
0: Yeah, what about other materials like Adobe? Have you ever tried running Adobe through the system?
1: So my answer to that, when clients ask us, is there's there's four parts to concrete printing. You have your robotics, you have your pumping, you have your slicing and you have your material, right? We are ex- experts in robotics. Uh, we know a lot about pumping and work with my. We know a lot about slicing because we have our own software. It's important for the design, but we are not experts in material. Um, material development costs a lot of time and energy and expertise, which we do not have in-house. So I always say that, for example, I, I look forward to having a material that's much less um. Uh, environmentally unfriendly so to say Um, but it's something that I wish that I want other companies that have the expertise to develop and then we will adopt it into our system Mm -hmm. Um, if we try to cover that also uh, we we would just be losing time because it'll be too many things going at the same time so it's not our expertise it's not something I see us developing in the near future
0: either we will wait for suppliers I don't think any there will ever be suppliers of Adobe. It's just dirt from the ground and straws. That, and
1: the,
0: <laughs> I don't know. I
1: don't know. But, you know, there are, I know of, several Earth experiments going on. Yeah. Um, and I'm always very interested to see what the results are. Um, but until somebody wants to try and put it through our machine, um, um, we're going to hold off.
0: Yeah, I've heard a lot about hempcrete too. There's so many yeah. mentioning it. But I've never seen it printed. So there must be something wrong with it, I, I imagine. Uh because there's so much interest, somebody must have tried it. Why wouldn't they show me if it's uh cool?
1: It's out there. Um a friend, a good friend of mine here um, that, a start, that started his uh venture also in the same location because you know we were here, um, ha- is doing automation of rammed earth in a very interesting way. Um so uh that's another interesting angle to approach automated construction so that's awesome um, i'll be able
0: to do two birds one stone next time i visit
1: for sure if you come within six months because as i said oh moving, yeah
0: but <laughs> how far but, are you moving yeah, uh,
1: we'll probably we'll probably stay in the area but we we don't know yet we're, we're in the netherlands for sure so yeah it's a small country you'll be fine but uh but this it's another way it's another way to to approach uh construction right it was very eco-friendly so earth is the way to go uh seems to be for material development for sure um but as i said it's not it's not
0: our uh, area of expertise my plan right now i put an order on a cyber truck years ago uh i'm hoping that it oh comes yeah towards uh the summer time of 2023 and i'll immediately ship it to europe and i'll have the first cyber truck in europe and i'll drive around for six months and visit all the 3D printed construction companies you can
1: start a new podcast just on your
0: experience driving around the first cyber truck in europe <laughs>
1: that'll just be a perk it's still all about automated be... construction <laughs> yeah, maybe sure. we'll do the podcast then. i don't know yeah yeah
0: so
1: yeah these things these things they're all they're all exciting developments you know um in, in the market right now in terms of materials uh, in terms of software you're seeing more and more sort of uh companies focus on that specifically, which is interesting too, right? To run robotics and whatnot. Um, uh, But, you know, still as four years ago, this industry just ticks the boxes, Um, except, you know, we're struggling on the sustainability part, but in terms of automation, in construction, in terms of, um, you know, new materials, it's, we're still, it's still booming for sure.
0: The beauty is the materials hopefully would be able to conform to the other three pillars And it could be an overnight thing where, like you said, somebody develops a system and they have such a high level of expertise, they just deliver.
1: Maybe. But what I see um, from the more technical side is that the pumps we use right now are still mortar pumps. Right. So there's Mm -hmm. the ongoing discussion of are we allowed to call it concrete printing? Yes or no. Um, What are the standards and the concrete, you know, the mortar pumps that we use have generally a maximum of three millimeter aggregate. Now. Everybody, you know, you hear a lot that having a larger aggregate is good for the uh, sustainability aspect. At the same time, I've heard very interesting talks uh, recently in the Loughborough conference from some uh, experts from Brazil that say that's not necessarily the case. There are other ways also to reduce, you know, the carbon footprint of your material without going into large aggregate. So there's a discussion there, which is interesting. Um, but the pumps we use now are still the three millimeter aggregate pumps. Um, when it comes to larger aggregate, you're going to, as far as I know, a piston pump system. So there are some companies that are already doing larger aggregate pumping and printing. They are out there. Um, at the same time, when you go to earth, you have a different challenge. You can't use the sort of most common concrete printing pumps to pump earth or clay, right? Because it just doesn't pump. It's not, it doesn't work. So in, I don't think there's going to be an overnight switch. Because the pumping system is different.
0: My uh, channel spot challenges. Ventures Equipment, their pump does up to uh, three-eighths of an inch, which is nine and a half millimeters. So that's pretty, go. pretty good size. And uh, yeah, usually I think traditional concrete is like four to eight millimeters, something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's what I hear, five to eight, yeah. So there's also other companies. I know one in Germany, uh, like THK something, I don't know. Uh, they're doing... Yeah. They're doing larger aggregate printing and then Cobot even did a larger aggregate print in uh, in Canada. I believe I'm going up to see that pretty soon. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be an interesting development to use less sand, I think, is why it makes it more sustainable. Sure. And less binder, right? So if you have more, um, if you have more, more sand
1: area, you have a larger surface area to have yeah. to stick to. So you need more cement, to, as far as I know. You need more cement to cover the surface area. to that stick it, sense, right? So yeah, um, but I'm no expert. Um, but you know, if you increase the aggregate size in your material mix, obviously you're decreasing the resolution of your wall. You know, your smoothness. So that's something that you then have to solve as well, um, which is possible. But then, how are you going to solve your smoothness on the edges, right? So, it's
0: a trade off. Digital concrete 2022. Did that happen yet? Yeah, we were in Loughborough.
1: So um, the conference was held there. They had their, their printer also. And it was interesting to see. Um, it was very nice to see everybody again. You know, it's, it, it is a little bit of a community, of course, right? And it's the same face. So it was good to have everybody there again. Um, it's obviously slightly more academic focused, right? Because that's the main uh, um, sort of, uh, the main guests are from the academic side. Um, and in saying that, I think that there is still a lot of feedback from the industry that could be voiced, right? So something that I heard uh, Timothy Wrangler from the ETH talk about, which I thought was Great. very nice to hear, was his experience with the columns that they printed, the concrete choreography, and how a year later or so they now perform. And these are the kind of you know insights that are interesting for us from the industry side, right? Uh, we try to you know we try to always jump to the conclusion, right? Instead of the, the fundamental research tries to do it properly. We, 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 as industry, we like to jump to the to the result, which is also useful. But I think there's a lot of lessons learned in the industry. For example, you talk about, you know, how the how the challenges of 3D printing houses. Um, we have a list of challenges too, for, you know, freeze-thaw testing on our planters and whatnot, or UV light, you name it. It'd be, there's definitely a, uh, a, a, a sort of, Opportunity to have some feedback on that as well from the industry. So,
0: yeah. So at Digital Concrete 2020, there was only one printer there.
1: Uh, they, they're their own printer, but mm-hmm. in from from companies there were there were several. Right, there, was, okay, there yeah. was enough companies there for to feedback. But most of the you know in these conferences, you have to submit the paper and then you I mean the, the actual paper. machine though. The, the yeah, only- there was at one at the university. Yeah, this is, wasn't the um, this wasn't like uh, a trade fair or, or something. No, no. no. I'd love they to somewhere
0: see multiple of these machines next to each other uh mm. preaching the same thing or something to compare right you said something about it being like kind of a community i think it's definitely a community and it's maybe the ceos like yourself who are more in like a competitive uh mindset not that it's like blood in the water that it's like violent competition um but i'm sure your team is always like going on the internet looking at what the other companies are posting and different things like it's a, it's very much community, and I get to see the community because the companies I'm talking to a bunch of them, and uh, it, I think it's a, a strong community because it's a it's a niche of people who are all really excited about kind of the same thing and a mentality that we can like build a better future with technology.
1: Yeah, I think it's important, too. And, you know, in, in this industry, like in anyone, information is important, right? So, of course, I follow what's going on in the industry. At Lovegrove, for example, I met Ashish um, from Hyperion, which is really nice to meet him in person. We had a good chat. And, of, of course, we have a lot of uh, lessons learned that we can share, right? So it's it's important also to get some confirmation that you're running into the same problems or that you're getting the same weird rfq's or that you know you're um uh, how, how you're going about growing and whatnot so that's really nice to, to get into that community like that and i always feel that it's better to have you know friends to share this information and to make enemies and even in this community there are people that tend to rock the boat which i think is completely unnecessary because the you know there's more than enough fish in the ocean, you know, to continue the, the, the maritime metaphor, um, it's better to have friends, right? And, and I, I, we have the Weber factory here. I still speak to them. Um, we have Barry of Saibi. Uh, he and I speak, you know, once, uh, once or twice a year, we visit each other's factory to see how that's going. It's nice when you're not in direct competition, of course, uh, that's a little bit more difficult, but yeah, it's better to have friends for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely it's great that you and Barry are able to uh, collaborate being both from the Netherlands, uh, similar systems, yeah. but very different goals, right? Like he's all about real estate, constructing real estate. And uh, you're not yeah, very yet. different. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. So, not, different you know. than
1: that. Yeah, so in, in that sense, you know, there's the odd RFQ in which we are competitors, but it's not often to be honest. So, you know, that makes it easier for us as well to share information on the market and where it's going because we don't uh, compete often in terms of system, uh, which is nice.
0: Mentioned a house with a printed roof. Uh, There's only one of those that I know of by RIC in China, but I imagine the one you talked about uh, with the gaps in the roof, maybe they didn't publicize it because it wasn't a successful project.
1: And the gaps were done in in the prototyping. So they discovered that when they were printing the elements, right? So oh. this, they, they didn't end up happening in the in the in the final version. Um, milestone and it wasn't the full, project. It wasn't the full roof roof either, um, but I'll leave it to them. I don't want to criticize their work because the results are, you know, really nice. But I'll yeah. leave it in between because we all learn these lessons, right? These are not.
0: Uh, yeah, I can uh, speculate. So, yeah, so, is there a, a second house for the milestone project coming soon? Do you think?
1: I do think so and I hope so. Um of course it's you know it's 20 minutes drive from here so yeah. um, sometimes we take I you know you and I went there when you were Yeah here we in did Maryland, it was so great. The door was yeah, open. It's good to Walk in. We we were we were lucky and they're open about it too and which is really nice, right? They don't that They girl was really they, sweet they, to us. Yeah and um I commend them as well for the way that you know companies like that act as um flagships right because it's not easy to be the first it's not easy to has the, the first projects and you know people criticize it's that's not easy so so i tend to support any lessons learned that come out from there and oh, yeah. i had a chat with them we we printed the um the pavilion here you know the no formwork pavilion we did um and no rebar compression only and we did a little opening and somebody some from people from uh, from Waiver came to and we had a chat about what they're going to do in their next house so yeah they the, you know they have the five buildings that are on schedule um that they are still going to be printing um and they're going to use the lessons learned that they had from the first house and you know improve for the second so things can only get better on that side so I'm very excited to see when they start but it's something you can do a podcast with them about I'm sure
0: yeah I've invited their CEO on my podcast trying to work it out uh hopefully happens eventually I'm sure it's not a priority for them because they're doing so many other construction projects and so it's something that maybe they work on when they have time
1: um, yeah, they have the print factory, right? They, they they do print and they're doing their uh business cases, they're doing their stairways, for example. They've, they've done a very cool pool projects, which we don't see enough of. Um, yeah. I would have liked to see more of the results there, too. It was a very impressive project a while ago. Um,
0: yeah, but I don't know what they're printing right now. I don't know. Uh, a lot of we're also busy, aren't possible because of no strength and tension. But uh, if they did it, that's awesome.
1: So they did a formwork project, right? So this wasn't just a pool, it was a whole um, facility. So it was a giant, you know, giant facility with a whole bunch of uh, different different pools and connected and all that, like uh, a big facility. So they did more of a work thing, uh, which is really cool. So- yeah, private that, facility? That, I don't know, I don't know the details. Uh, there, there's been photos posted online already, but I don't know what the, what the end result looks like, but these projects are happening. Uh, they're happening quite, quietly to be honest sometimes, right? You'd expect them to make more noise about, about projects like this, but sometimes they happen quite quietly. It surprises me sometimes. There's, there's an amazing uh, concrete printed um, sculpture, I think in the Czech Republic uh, by Diaz and they created a technique where they, they had a sort of a sand mold and then they poured ultra high performance concrete on it. And the results are, you know, spectacular. And it's also inside our niche; it's not getting a lot of attention. Um, but it's an extremely impressive sort of sculptural project with water and lighting and all these things going on. So, on it or in it? What? They poured the concrete on it. Yeah. So they just sort of they, they. I think they made a sand mold, and then they. But they automated the the making of the sand mold, and then and then the ultra high performance concrete went on top. If that was printed or poured, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but it's certainly automated, right, with the, with the making of the molds, and they, they went giant. And they're starting also a concrete printing company now in the Czech Republic, which, by the way, is booming. I know of six different concrete printing companies there now, including a company that uses our machine called Voxel. Um, so, so they're booming too. for some reason, there's a lot of demand there for uh, uh, automation.
0: What kind of printing are they doing in the Czech Republic?
1: It's so similar. So with our machine, generally, you know, it's the it's the more high detailed, right? So it's the columns, it's the furniture, it's the planters, it's the uh, unique objects, uh, unique projects, right? But that it's the scale of maximum ten meters wide by three meters high by two meters deep. Um, otherwise, it becomes modular. Yeah.
0: So like basically the size of a Volkswagen Beetle or so. <laughs> yeah right yeah and that's
1: that's you know one of the differences between concrete printing and two component printing mono or two component one component whatever you want to call it is, is that's the size right once you go outside the range of a robot a gantry becomes interesting and once you go something that's that big a mono material becomes interesting yeah
0: are you selling a lot of the smaller printers now or are most of them going for the larger one at this point right now most
1: of our sales are for the larger one that's so great. obviously what Yeah, so uh, surprising too, you know, estimated last year, there would be a sort of balance, you know, between the, because we do the two component printer, but obviously without our print head, it's simply a one component printer, right? It's still the same pump and still the same robot. So you can also use a mono material. And then we have our small machines for training. Um, So right now, um, most of the sales are for the largest machine, including accelerated print head, because I think that people, that want to get into 3D concrete printing also see the potential there. So this is for precast companies. That's that's the sort of companies we sell to or startups or universities um, are in that space. And for us, the mono printer is more for people that um, want to get started, um, are on a a budget. For example, we just installed a machine at the University of Budapest um, who want to do structural applications, right? So when you do, I, I've, I've always said, when you do research into construction printing, even of houses, having a small robotic, smaller robotic machine is a space saver and a time saver. You know, you can fail fast with these machines. So the University of Budapest is a good example of a university that wanted to buy a gantry machine, but in the end, for budgetary reasons, but also for space reasons, decided to go for a robotic machine and ended up going with us for that expertise. And then when you go even smaller scale, just to start with material testing, you see the small machines like we sell. Um, So those are popular too, but it's the large machines really that are um, in high demand.
0: Yeah, that seems to be a lot more value in the larger machines because of the time it takes for the layers to cure, right? And the material differences. It, it all depends on, on what your goal is with the machine. If you buy the
1: small machine from us for, for R&D, it's called an R&D machine for a reason. So the batches are still, you know, you you've handmade the batch and then you do about 30, 40 liters inside a small pump and then you pump to the robots and then you do your test, you know, maximum, let's say a meter by uh, half a meter by half a meter. something, you know, that you should do with a machine that size. And that gives you the opportunity to do a lot of material testing and rapid prototyping. It's not a production machine. So you don't buy that machine with the goal of running any production at all. Um, for the larger machine that is the case, you can run production on that. However, um, if you wanna produce construction elements like wall elements, it's you know the style that Saibi does as well. Um, that's something you can, you can produce uh, modular, right? So you're making wall elements one by one by one. Um, but if you're trying to test structural applications at the universities, for example, robot becomes interesting and you're back to mono printing with a robot inside a smaller space mm-hmm. because they're not used every day, right? So it, it really depends on what you want to do. If you want to go for you know high-end prefab angles, etc., you got to go for the big investments. So yeah, it's it's not better or worse. It's it purely has to do with what is your intention with the machine.
0: I think it's better. I think the big. One, I think, I it's, think it's curious, <laughs> and yeah. they really want to get involved, and they want to. They're going to stick with it. They know they're committed. Yeah, go for the yeah. big one. Yeah, uh,
1: sure. You know, I, I agree. Um, at the same time, if you go the, the the machine, for example, at the University Budapest, which is you know the the, the single um, robot with a mind multi mix we can upgrade that, right? So by the time you've learned your lessons and you have new investment and you see what your potential is uh, for your return on investment and you know your market. You can always upgrade to our two component machine um so you've I had your know there,
0: when you say with the my multi-mix the two component it's just the head of the machine is the difference right
1: that yes so the um, uh, the machine is you know both machines have a robot same robot uh, both machines have the my multi-mix which the is you know the dry mix the mortar or the track if you like right which is a dry mix to mortar. And then in order to do two components, there's a print head that that mixes the material at the end of the robot, but we need another dosing pump to pump the accelerant there also. So Mm -hmm. you get a dosing pump. On top of that, we build a control box with a touchscreen HMI, which gives you an overview of all the sensors and data. And then we have a monitoring uh, screen that live monitors all your data as you go and gives you an overview of what you're printing. Um, so, it's a new addition for us that you can see actually what you're printing, what your objects are going to look like, which is very nice. And a list of the you know, the parameters I talked about earlier, like which ones are important to measure. Those we have in a nice list now. Um, so, when you're doing two components, you can monitor very well. And that sort of more that complexity, so it's not just the printhead, it's a printhead plus dosing pump, com- plus control box, plus monitoring software. That complexity is nice and uh, important when you're starting to run production right, when you really wanna monitor or when you're doing research on that level, when you're researching in such detail that you wanna measure all this data.
0: Mm-hmm. So have you had customers that bought it without all those upgrades and then got the upgrades afterwards?
1: Uh, not yet. So we haven't sold the, the um, Accelerator print head loose. Yeah. Uh, we have upgraded print heads to clients. So we have some upgraded versions that we are selling now Mm -hmm. Uh, and they you know buy in a retrofit so we made some upgrades to our initial machine um so that's happened but you know we've only been selling these two component systems for 12 months what's what's it been now uh yeah november of last 10 months So so it hasn't been that long
0: if a company didn't have the two component system and they wanted to upgrade would you be able to ship them the parts and walk them through it or would they would you need to go install it for them
1: yeah, we, we the, for the two components, we go and install. So the small machine actually is the, the R&D machine is designed to be used straight for the box because we don't want to fly to you. It's, you know, yeah. the, the budget is relatively minor. We're talking about 60,000 euros. Uh, you don't want to pay on top of that for us to fly over and help you. We can do all the training online and it comes. We actually designed it so it fits on a pallet jack and you can just use it in your space, right? But anything bigger than that, it's especially installing a robot, it's nice to have support learning how to use the multi-mix, it's nice to have support. So if it's a robot install, then we tend to go there and do it with them or for them. Um, if they already have a robot and it's only the multi-mix for the simple system, they can come to us and do the training here, which can be nice. And for the large system, we really want to do training with them on site. Do uh, you offer any kind of machines?
0: T- do you offer any trainings? I know some companies are doing like in-person trainings. People seem to really like that.
1: We, we offer the trainings with the sale of machine. So it's included in the sale of our machine. Um, we don't tend to train people without having bought a machine. I think it's possible. are like three
0: grand just to do a training day.
1: <laughs> in that case, send them my way. We'll be happy to train somebody for, for three grand for a day. Yeah, I mean, um, they set it up.
0: They, do, they, they have like 10 people in the, in the class at once uh it can be done if
1: it's online but then you know that's not how you
0: want to learn in person yeah online is not how you want to learn for that price Um, in person in online about a tenth of that price
1: right so i've seen i've had some requests for people that want online training for that um but to be honest the, the demand in my opinion isn't high enough to warrant us in setting up a program like that at present right if you want to make something as you know that's another thing with our niche is that the complexity of the objects is something that is best taught with a little bit more time. Yeah. So even though you know you come here for a training, the printed patio guys were here a few <clears throat> weeks ago. They spent five days training here. And some of that is printing, but we will actually go fly to Florida, install the machine, and then do the hardware training and experience on their machine, which is nice for them, you know, to, to work with their own specific machine, even though they're exact copies. Um, but it's nice to be here to see us print in our machine and our lessons learned in terms of, for example, cleaning, right? How how do you dispose of water that's dirty? How do you dispose of concrete prints? These are little things like where do you have your skip, you know, how far away is it? Um, How do you uh, in what order do you put your machines that it's easiest to assemble disassemble? Do you have racks? Uh, Do you have um, uh, uh, dust extraction? How do you we know we have for example uh, a machine that you know wet cleans our floor these are all these little tips that you get when you're here physically right and same for slicing so we have a lot of examples of projects that we did so we encourage people to come here and train but we also go there um, and then
0: install train locally that's what we do most of the time nice yeah for every 3d printed construction company there's an angry landlord with a clogged train
1: likely we haven't had the issue yet,
0: and the way we
1: do it is simply um, it's not very advanced. To be honest, we have we have settlement tanks. So we do our we do our cleaning on top of a basically a, a tray. And then we let it settle overnight and we dra- we check the acidity of the water. If it need be, we can adjust the acidity and then we drain the clean water on top. And then whatever the slurry that's left over every few months or so, we throw that into our um, uh, into our skips. Or containers or whatever the American, I don't know what the American version is, container, I guess. Um, waste container. So that seems to work for us. Um, but there are very advanced systems that you can install where you can just clean straight and they have drip trays and settlements, but that's something that's outside of our
0: purview, you know? Yeah, you're more responsible than some of the other teams.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't seen I haven't seen it. And I hope you don't clog your brain. I don't even know what the consequences I don't want to find out.
0: I don't want yeah, to find I, out what the consequences are. They're not good, but. The uh is there anything that we didn't cover on this podcast so far that's new and exciting?
1: Um, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's it's what surprises me a little bit is again, you know, the how fast the US market's going. That's very, that's very exciting. Um the the amount of gantries that are coming onto the market, that's very exciting. Um again, I agree with you. It surprises me how little third, fourth, fifth, seventh, you know, six, sevenths buildings that are being printed. I'd like to see more of that. Slowly South America is coming more and more. Um, RFQs are starting up there and Southeast Asia also, they're following suit. And I know of a few Australian projects that are starting up uh, that are happening down there too, so they're following. Africa has been a bit quiet for me as far as I know. Um, Maybe you know more. Middle East is also still interested for sure um but maybe africa is more into the 3d concrete printing of housing than they are into uh you know fine detail architectural style things um that's basically what i'm seeing so far uh and and maybe you know more than i do but i expect the first companies that you know struggle struggle to make it you know i expect the first companies to quietly uh do other things uh but we'll see. We'll see how that, how that pans out.
0: Yeah, it will be fascinating. I, like I said, there's a, there were 312 companies I was following now, as of today, there's 314 companies I'm following. So, Jeez. so far I'm not aware of any of them that have gone out of business. <laughs> no, me um, not yet, but I'm uh, the whole list. I'm sure just with that number, some crazy thing happens where somebody has an accident or something and they can't do it anymore. So, so they don't always make it public when it, they're not yeah. in operation yeah. anymore. So it's hard to say. And some of the people on that list, they expressed interest, maybe they don't even have a machine yet, they just kind of had good marketing <laughs> or something. Uh, it's hard to say often. I'm su- I'm
1: sure you have one of the most complete lists out there, but, but I'm also sure that there's there's there are several that are you know dormant right now that I know that are coming that aren't on your list. There's there's so many, there's so many, and uh, in I get it, a lot of dormant ones.
0: I get a lot of dormant companies on the list because they contact me to ask, hey, which printer should I get?
1: <laughs> That's good. I send people your way too if they they're still not sure. They go just contact contact Jeff Gross. He can give you some you know uh, some advice on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know which way to go but uh but i'd be interesting to see i mean since you are neutral in this i'd be interested at some point to see if you would share a pie chart or two you know on 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 how many companies are there out there you know what continents are there on that'd be, that, you know i think you you can provide yeah, I mean, the some primary reason i haven't
0: shared that list is because it's so disorganized it's so mm-hmm. sloppy and i have these columns and it's like i have the things i want to fill it out with like email location what the printer t- like a little just a little bit of information like at least the country they're in but yeah there's so many and there's such like i need help <laughs> if i had employees i could get around <laughs> to uh and it's like you it's, can send me the list right i can right fill now. the
1: countries maybe i know that the holders report for anybody listening to this that doesn't know holders associates they uh, when when i started in concrete printing that's also the report you know, the 400 page report that I read to understand what 3D printing is and what the market's like. They're starting to do some construction, 3D printing stuff in there as well. So yeah, hopefully works know, there now. Exactly, right? So Stefan, Stefan uh, is working on that, which is fantastic, which means that, you know, it's another one of those, mile, those, those strange little milestones in the concrete printing industry where you're like, okay, so now it's positioning itself in holders industry where, you know, the maturity, it's one of those maturity milestones. That's nice to see. I'd love to see the results in the whole report for sure. Maybe they have some of these graphics also.
0: Definitely. Yeah. So uh, if somebody wants to work for you, you mentioned time is your biggest constraint. Uh, how do they yeah. contact you? Uh,
1: the, the website, info at vertical3d.com or recruitment at vertical3d.com. We are open to open applications. You don't have, you know, uh, uh, all backgrounds, all, you know, uh, ages, uh, colors, creed, whatever the, the, the uh, applicants uh, enthusiasm is important for us. You got to be enthusiastic. You got to like. You know. You got to come here with a smile. That's that's something that we find very important. Um, and again, the ones specifically working for technical salespeople now, but we're also on project management. Um, we are hiring another
0: operator. Um, these are these are things that are open. Will probably be open for a while too. For anyone listening that wants to work at Vertigo, I recommend you add your favorite philosophical quotes as well. Give Volker. That care. helps. Yeah, it helps hobbies,
1: you know, like, what do you do? What do you like doing? What have you done in the past that, you know, send, send some portfolio if you have it or something you're proud of that I like, I like to see, to see, you know, what makes you tick, what makes you uh, uh, get up in the morning, right? I know. Philosophy if we can apply that things. here, great. For me, uh, as I said, you know, the background is not an issue. My background is non-technical as you know, I have a degree in philosophy. So if I can, you can definitely too. Uh, be in concrete printing, That's that shouldn't be that much of an issue. Interestingly, on that point, maybe it's a more broader market type thing. You know, what we see a lot of applicants here, a couple of years ago, I was worried that we wouldn't get enough people with grasshopper experience. And the opposite has been true. So a lot of people that find us are computational designers, architects, digital manufacturing masters, Great. et cetera. So yeah, so the supply of, you know, um, people with that skill set is a lot higher than I thought it would be now try and find people that um, are into project management, which is not necessarily an additive manufacturing skill, finance, uh, sales, you know, these things that are not exclusively managed manufacturing digital manufacturing, right? So, so, so I'm finding that that's now um, the challenge to find. So anybody out there that's vaguely interested in 3D concrete printing or additive manufacturing and has a different background,
0: we have work. It's easy for me to imagine the grasshopper people being really passionate about their work a little harder for me to imagine the finance guys being passionate about it but
1: for sure for sure but they're out there
0: they're out there right they they gotta be like uh
1: they're out there that that like to uh i mean i can only imagine that you know to be part of something where the product is is this uh fun right that's what i mean it's just cool you walk out the door here you see a robot making making a column in no time i mean that that that's that's got to mean something right
0: there's something deeply satisfying about machines doing work for people. Uh, yeah. Everybody just loves to see it, whether it's a Roomba or uh, yeah. a factory producing Snickers, whatever it is. Uh, we like to live uh, in the of manufacturing, concrete printing. We like to live in the illusion that all of it's that
1: easy, right? So once it starts working, it's printing. We're all like, you know, just chilling. You know, we can't do anything because the machine's working.
0: That's what makes and all this sweatplugs worthwhile. Yeah, it's that. One day. It's exactly that we'll be sipping my ties watching the printer. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. 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 It, it'll happen. So again, you know, the reliability is there, but you got to put the work in to make it happen. Right. It's, that's, it's the tough one. Yeah, man. But I'm, are, I'm, I'm, I'm excited I mean to see either. what kind of reactions you get again. I still get, I literally get people calling me um, and saying, uh, you said in the Jared's uh, first podcast with you, and he, you said in the second podcast, you said, this, is that still the case? And so, uh there's definitely feedback so um so i'm happy that you want to put it out there again and um thank you for taking the time for sure yeah there'll be a
0: fourth and a fifth i hope as well
1: yeah yeah and yeah exactly and after a while we can look back and go oh my god like look at that look at that uh look at that hair and look at that beard and look at that you know <laughs> we'll hey, see that's just anyway
0: me. In there. <laughs> yeah
1: exactly yeah, maybe i get a beard I don't know. we'll see yeah, but yeah. um yeah, to anybody for anybody's watching, uh, uh, I hope uh, stay involved. Right, thanks for the channel.
0: Yeah, I don't think anyone's watching at this point, but <laughs> who knows?
1: They will when they when you reposted the old ones. I got feedback like, oh, you, you got your new podcast for Jared. I said, no, 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 it's reposting the old ones.
0: Yeah, the uh, the average watch time though is like ten minutes or something. So very few, maybe one in ten people gets to this part of the podcast. <laughs> I guess we feedback. can say whatever we want nobody will uh <laughs> on that note yeah 10 percent
1: discount no I'm still... <laughs> on that note <laughs> i do have um a new uh video of our print head coming out it's been sitting on the shelf for a little while because we're just busy with selling and Great. um uh if you like we can uh, do an exclusive on your channel i can send you the video you can add it here and i'll wait a while and uh you can have a nice uh, uh show of what our new system can do
0: yeah for sure if you can get a bunch of footage of prints that would be a great video of yes yeah, well, we comparing. have promo yeah awesome yeah cool thanks again and i'll uh catch you next time maybe in europe thank you jared good to see you all right later on